Action! Uh, hey guys, welcome back. Um, I'm here today with Ian Pons Jules, who simply, I believe, is the best commercials director in the world at the moment. Um, and this is not just my opinion. Uh, he's also been polled by the producers, uh, a producers poll, a film a commercials producers poll that have um, voted him the best director in the world two years running. Um, so we're going to go through uh, his work today. Um, we're going to go through quite a few of his jobs. Uh, so we're going to leave the links uh, in the description and we're going to try and edit some of the live footage of the work we're talking about into the podcast as well. Um, so, yeah, um, enjoy. So welcome, Ian. Thank you so much for giving up your time and coming along to this. No, my um, pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for the invite. Yeah, yeah, you're entirely welcome. I'm, I had... I have to say I had quite a unique experience mm. going through your work because um, I mean I, I found it quite quite emotional actually I have to say because you know firstly like it has to be said that your your website is, has all your work chronologically right so you can see yeah. I could see your whole career develop from when you left film school up through the pr promo period up into the commercial period and I found that absolutely fascinating mm. to see the sort of tropes of how you work and to see how you develop those tropes and the relationships you got on, on the way and to see what that brought to your to your work yeah. um but the first thing i have to say is uh i just amazed at the, the the quantity that you've managed to shoot particularly in commercials when you started doing high-end commercials i mean the, how prolific you become and how quickly you became prolific the sort of yeah. the amount of work you did um one of my sort of we'll get into the um into the sort of going back and starting at the beginning of your career but one of the questions i want to ask you straight off the bat is how did you kind of manage your time during that period because it, were you shooting simultaneously or um yeah it, it, yes what what happened was i so I was, I was in videos for quite a long time maybe comparatively to other directors or some other directors i don't know it's, it's so different every director like how quickly they go from a video into commercials and but I was, I was, you know, it's like seven years, like 2009 to 2016 was music video. Um, and to the point where I was like, oh, I, th I really was like, oh, fuck it. Like, I, I won't, don't, doesn't look like I'll be getting an ad. I won't do that path. I we thought I wouldn't end up down that path, basically. But I had always, I was looking at it when I started to, when I first, um, made music videos i then was like oh yeah so people do music videos and then like ads and do you, then you, you stumble across music videos sort of by chance after leaving Vine? yeah it was yeah i i wasn't like a an mtv kid or something with a that would watch music videos or anything i honestly I, I would watch a lot of films um and then that that was really what i did and then uh when after university i didn't know i, I was like, i've got to make something because it's been like six months or out of uni and i hadn't shot anything and i had this like flash of fear like am i am i just another statistic <laughs> that went to film school and didn't mm. actually end up being able to do it or so i was like right i got to make something and i thought oh if i do a music video more people will see it that was my the reason i thought i'll make a video so if i make a short film you know, I've got no audience. Maybe, maybe some people see it, but just sort of really starting at the bottom. So I, yeah, was and then 
And through doing music videos, then I discovered the world of music videos mm. by making some. Mm. And then, oh, the world of production companies. Oh, there's production companies and there's directors signed to production companies. I had no idea. None of this was, was mentioned. Was to you at, at film <laughs> yeah. school, yeah. And then I was like, oh, and they do ads. And I was like, oh, mm. shit, you know, that's what fin Fincher did, you know, his music right. videos. Then He was one of your then, uh, biggest influences, was he? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like for all of us, right? Mm. It's like just... Yeah, there's something major, you said. There's, you know, there's various directors. I, um, you know, there's a lot of directors I'm just in awe of. Finch is one of them, mm. you know, like the the language he's yeah. developed with. And th that path was really interesting. You know, Glazer as well. And like yeah. bunch of, we can, li list goes on of directors mm. who did music videos, commercials, films. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that was, mm. And then when I got the first commercial i got um i then got another board came in i was like oh like i've just made one another one's coming mm. pitched got mm. that one mm. and then whilst i was doing that one another board came in for me and i was like oh shit like this is really a really rapid this is industry <laughs> this is um through anorak was it? yes yeah anorak yeah uh german commercials through mm. anorak and I was like, this is quite a rapid mm. thing. And I was like, they come in and I pitch and then they shoot mm. like three weeks later. Mm. We, uh, so I then calculated in my head that if I made, if I kept this pace, having just made one and was on to my second one and was about to do the third, I was like, that's three already. And if you go on a production company website, um, some of these... You know the directors were looking up to at the time they might have like six commercials on the website seven they've done a ton more mm. but the profile is essentially uh in the present moment of you looking at a director is kind of it's it it's made up of the historical portfolio but it's also in the moment of seeing the works that they've done at the time so i just thought well, if i just go kind of a well if i go pretty full on with this i can i felt i could hit uh the the top tier quite like within sort of three years and then bow out to do my film because mm. the film has always been the thing right um but i was also really a bit uh, i was quite conscious of seeing other directors i'd known or heard of kind of leave do a few ads leave film didn't happen then they kind of can't go back to ads and then and then their profile yeah. diminishes Sorry, and it's so precarious yeah um that i my game my the thing i really wanted to do is get financially secure and solidify uh my profile as much as i mm. could in commercial so that i could then just not do them mm. and go off and do my mm. my films and then if the film fails I can go back to doing yeah. commercials, build back up again, go back mm. to, you know, long form is takes such a long time mm. that I just, and I love commercials. I love it. Like it means I can finance my own projects as well and everything mm. like that. So yeah, that was kind of the, there was a conscious effort to, to go pretty full on. Full yeah. on. Yeah. I, I, what I find interesting about that is it's, um, because your desire was to end up doing long form, um, 
you dedicated yourself to commercials in a way and you had that militant kind of approach for commercials where you, you wanted to get that body of work established, like you say, and you went for it so kind of like passionately to get to, to, get to film that you ended up kind of like pushing commercials forward in a way that, that I think if you just wanted to be a commercials director, you might have not done that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it's kind, of, it's kind of ironic that to get to the next stage that, you ended up that's, establishing uh, it so well yeah that's that's interesting because i haven't thought about that before yeah they yeah it was i was viewing them as with 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 total respect but also just not comp trying not to compromise and just like doing it. well if i do this commercial this is how i do it mm. like and then push mm. push it um, but then it was uh, working with, I mean, worked with amazing creatives who were like really, I, I was shocked going into commercials from music video and see, having more trust in many respects in the ad world from agencies and creatives than in music videos right. sometimes with certain projects or mm. hearing stories and stuff. Obviously, there's loads of freedom of music videos. You can do really wild stuff, but... In terms of process and protection, I was quite had quite a good experience. With that. But that's because I think that that is because <clears throat> you establish yourself so well in music videos, and your mm. all the tropes that you're into that we're going to hopefully break down a little bit more later in this conversation about how you um, how you sort of see the world and the things you're interested in exploring photographically and and in terms of sort of the ideas. Uh, you established that body of work in music videos, so there was a definite kind of Ian Pond's dual approach. And then that got sold into commercials by like some people that really saw that in you and thought, well, this can be applied to commercials. Um, had you not had that long period, seven-year period of music videos, I don't know if that would have actually happened. Maybe you would have got swall swallowed up into the into the commercials kind of um, um, kind of conservatism, um, and you know you might not have had the chance for people to really see what you could offer and then use that as a way to sell your your style to a commercial because that's what i think so interesting mm. is that you kind of change commercials in a way like the way you know sort of people um like frank but you know frank Bush, you mentioned jonathan glazier and tony k for, for, mm -hmm. for sure you know certain figures that come along and through that pure kind of vision and tenacity they sort of change the language a little bit and i think that's kind of a little that's what you've sort of done and you're sort of like a modern i think a modern version of that and i think mm. i think that's down to the the, the stint in music videos and the fact you've you've created signature style. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. I think that if without without I, I'd because I'd almost given up as well on trying to get a commercial and that I'd done so many music videos. Yeah, you end up there's no question of who you are when you go into the when you go into the ad space for sure. I think having the more of that you can have when you go into it, the better. I wouldn't say it's good to turn down a commercial opportunity if you get it early on, but there's massive benefits of mm. building what you are before you go into it. Because, you know, so yeah, because I mean, ultimately a commercial is, it's a compromised space already. So if you're going in with, a, with your uncompromised armor or self mm. into that space that... You, you're getting brought into it for the uncompromised un version of you as much as they can get from that mm. before you go into it. So yeah, I think that's a good, yeah. that is a good 
point. I mean, there's so many bad commercials made in terms of, you know, just like the ideas. Uh, I mean, it might, uh, that's unfair, actually. Commercials that are just there to sell a product, but they're not necessarily, they don't need to do it with style. They can just do it in a functional way. Um, but the scripts that you got quite early on were all very visual scripts that demanded that kind of, that treatment, which having worked with other directors in the past, sometimes they have to fight off these things that just kind of get offered to them and they're completely not right for them, but they're, they're kind of money and it's really hard to sort of turn that money down. I remember you saying once uh, in one of the podcasts I listened to how important it is to stay time, time rich mm-hmm. and to, to sort of find a way to support yourself so you can, you can wait for these, the correct opportunities to come along. To yeah. Develop. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, and talking about the path of video commercial film, it, I don't even recommend, oh, everyone should do videos and then commercials and then film. Because if you can just, if you are, you've got the, the mental state and ability to just be doing film, amazing. You know, there's mm. no, there's loads of benefits from doing commercials and ending film. There's a lot of benefits from the videos, then the commercials. It's just like my personal path that I did. But if you can just go, go and make f- film, incredible. Um, mm. I think now what's interesting is filmmakers who then can go and do a commercial now and then because um, you, if you between two films, four years might pass that you're not on set. Something we've been talking to with a friend who's a film, features director, you know. Um, and if you don't do it's like, what do you shoot between the two films mm. as well um, so yeah and then it's, in terms of like yeah the bad commercial it's just it's viewing it as the opportunity could might just be financial that bad commercial might pay for your rent for a year mm. might completely ease off all uh, financial stresses you have to allow you to then focus on the script you're mm. doing or if you're dp you know shooting very low paid whatever mm. so it's about viewing the th- project you're doing i think with the right for what it is it might mm. just be a money thing so then it is mm. but you know you can there's always some space even in a bad commercial to to get something from it i think mm. a- aside from money mm. it could be um yeah, how just blocking, you know, you get blocking yeah. experience, you yeah. get some get experience of talking with a team that you might not see eye to eye mm. eye to eye with creatively. Um, so then you're gaining like persuasion tactics and yeah. human understanding of Yeah. So but it's, yeah. Um it's, yeah, it's interesting. there's always something to be gained. It's like that the dry stone wall uh philosophy of you always use a stone that's in your hand. Because if you hunt around for the perfect stone, you're there forever. Whereas there's always a place for that stone mm-hmm. sort of thing. So you always always sort of use what's around you, mm-hmm. which is kind of like when I look at your career, you've done a lot of that. It's like kind of going to you know traveling to uh, Bolivia, for example, and finding opportunities there, and finding mm-hmm. you know and, and building your team as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit uh, about that, about some of your relationships. So the first sort of significant relationship um, was you were making films with your mates, weren't you? From from Film school, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you first moved into commercials, at that point you had the, the Horn Church, I would imagine a, the, the uh, relationship you have with Anorak in Berlin, 
there was a producer that really saw something in you, right? And yeah, well, so the first thing I had was a Tello. Yeah. Um, and that that came to me, and Anorak were really were really pushed as well. And yeah, the, that job happened, and then because of that, I then Guido Heffels at Hornbach then gave me the opportunity to pitch on Hornbach. Right. So he was a client or the he's, uh, agency. He's Guido Heffels is this legendary creative, and he's like he he has his own agency called Hymat, mm. and he was with Hornbach in the beginning of that like client ad agency mm. career. And he's he just built this the most incredible, like one of the greatest agency client portfolios. You know, it's on the level with like you know Nike and Widen, mm. but I think it's just on a different level. Mm. The trust that they've got for him is wild. I mean, and he's truly uncompromising. You know, mm. um, so working with him is just i felt like i'd gone back it was like now i realize how peculiar it is like he's he was he's like working with someone back in like golden age or whatever mm. you hear about these like mm. singular visionary creative directors at agencies that have loads of power and trust from the mm. client and you know but working with him was yeah it was, is that working with don draper from mad men or something yeah yeah it'll be on that level you mm. know it was wild mm. what a great you know, introduction is he was yeah i mean i it, yeah exactly i mean giving me the confidence to mm. to like push creative mm. you know i was sitting with him like this and we do a take and he's like mm. and it was like the guy at the toolbox mm. looking like yeah, at the yeah. camera yeah and he's like mm, there's something not right here and he's like uh, have him spit as a camera <laughs> I was like, I was like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, it's like, okay. And I, I was like, shit, like, great. But I mean, okay. So I went up to the, even the actor didn't want to do it, you know. And he was like, oh, it's really rude here in Romania, you know. So I was like, yeah, it's kind of something quite rude. It's rude everywhere, you know. You don't don't tend to spit at the camera or people, and you know, and that was his note. You know, it's good. <laughs> it was well, crazy. When you get notes like that, you know but, you're going, you're yeah, in for a good yeah, ride, right? So, I mean, yeah. we had, we you know, we wrote this scene with, with them carrying like two beams of wood, like Jesus Christ, mm. you know. And I was like, this is never going to go through. And we sh framed it just in the way that it would like it would feel like he's, you know, this bloodied, injured mm. Jesus walking mm. to the, you know, to put up his own death cross you know and it's like all in this commercial mm. it's wild um and it just that that was a really formulating experience the first one because it was like to to get trust of doing mm. something creative and and then the second one with hornback it was mm. i mean that, i was yeah. very lucky you can really see it. a shift in uh, in your commercial because the first one was beautifully shot was you did that with Mal mauro mauro yeah yeah, yeah. uh but it was, to me, I couldn't see as much as your signature style into it. But then when the Hornback came out, I was thinking, okay, this is almost like the beginning of your journey, you know, your, your, you know, and you can see when you, the, the preceding commercial, you can really see yourself take flight with some of these ideas that 
were evident in your music videos and mm -hmm. then coming through into commercials in a way that was, I think, so fresh and so unique. Totally. Yeah. yeah it, you know, it was the first, I had, there was a VFX budget and we did, the, you know, going through the wall and mm. that transition really like, it, mm. I mean, it, they've been done before and they've, they've been done after, but yeah, it was, that, it was, it was, it was the mo one of the most, yeah. Important. And so when you wrote that, did it, was it, uh, sorry, when, when you got the script, did you, did you kind of get any input in the writing? Of it was it? completely collaborative with Guido. You know, we sat down and I did a treatment based off the first chat we had mm. and wrote scenes and he'd written stuff. I added stuff mm. and then we, we got, got the gig and then we went, met up in, you know, in Berlin and in in Anorak, and we just putting stuff on the wall and mm. chatting and like writing, and you know, it was proper. Yeah, you, I mean, you that, know, that's, dream. that's I think that's evident in the piece yeah. of work because it, it yeah. is so breathtaking. So I mean, also, you know, the voiceover was in the edit, right? In the edit was, and that that edit was with Tobias. Mm. Same. So I work with Guy Baretti since mm. day one mm. music videos, mm. and still do now. And she's yeah. like incredible. The, the one you traded um, English you know, lessons for, or yeah. Anything. <laughs> and then uh, Tobias, I met yeah. on Hornbach, yeah, uh, in Berlin, mm. and you know I've continued that relationship mm. with him. And what and you know Guy, I, you know, it was the music video work was mm. just our relationship with that was incredible. And then mm. Tobias, the thing that saw what mm. I saw with what he what he his abilities with with horn, with was hornback when we had quite a linear edit mm. it was quite this scene and stand for something and da 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 da, mm. da 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 and the voiceover was quite was talked of in a was spoken in a regular pace mm. and we did the edit we looked at it i was like you know what people think and the you know producers like mm, yeah good and What's interesting when you work in Germany is um, they don't bullshit you. They don't do the, oh, well done, mm, yeah, great. Right. So, yeah, it's really good. And uh, anyway, but here's some thoughts. Mm. You don't get any of that initial, like, pat on the back. It's yeah. just, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then they go straight in with what's wrong with it. Right. It's quite... Yeah, uh, quite brutal. Yeah. It's quite difficult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, not, uh, not good, at the yeah. beginning, and you're like, yeah. oh, it's just a different way of working. It's yeah, it's but quite then it's refreshing. Very, very efficient, though. Yeah, it's efficient. Yeah. You know, um, there's no all the wasted energy on niceties. Um, so then, you know, we looked at it. Kido was like, "I'm not happy with it." And I was like, "Oh God!" Like, it's, it looks great, and I'm like, "Can't imagine it being like different or mm -hmm. better." It was like as we planned it, and then he goes off and he like re he records the voice himself, and he says it in this like totally like just jumping around like stand for something like mm. mumbling and like jumping around with the voiceover yeah. and then he comes back in goes use this you know mm. and they're like okay and then tobias brings in his voiceover and the voiceover because it was so like here and there mm. and like loud mm. and quiet and tobias just then like just edited it in this like with with speed ramps and like mm. short burst and mm. it's like the most stunning change mm. of edit um and i was just like holy shit mm. like 
from Guido's just never letting anything sit and just keep mm. pushing it to then Tobias being it like completely changing the thing on that it was so mm. yeah it was a really special project so this makes me think about how your career has basically been collaborating with people and keeping a really open mind to to the, the craft and learning this craft of filmmaking and applying that to your vision that you know it's like these key relationships you're saying like with the editor and that creative mm. um and i can see that probably with your dops as well because i mean the malro relationship seems to be quite a special one for you i can sort of see yeah. the elevation and because that's, that's something i sort of want to talk at a fair bit because he has a certain magical way with light that it's you know he's quite out there as a dop i think from looking at the world and, and it's so suited to to you know your vision and it's to, to create that perfect craft to for your vision to have Ex- being executed with perfect craft requires someone of his standard, I think, to, to, to have that sensitivity to light. Um, do, one thing I want to ask you, actually, mm. with regards to... Because the, the thing that stands out about your work, I think, is that um, one of the things, one of the many things that stands out about your work is the way you move the camera and the efficiency of how you move the camera um, uh, and the mixing of forms as well. So I want to talk a little bit about that, about... Um, so I can see kind of a little bit of Wes Anderson, kind of like the parallel track and the Kubrick, the sort of parallel tracks and then and then the whip, whip-ons and the, the wide-angle whip to reveal kind of, you know, another element rather than using a cut, you kind of whip something. Um, it's a very kind of incredibly efficient, um, precise way of moving cameras. How much of that is something that you have? I mean, it seems to me that a lot of that now is forced up before the shooting a lot of that's kind of it's um designed by you beforehand is that right or yeah that the i i you know i storyboard everything as much as possible uh pre-plan everything as much as i can um you know from when, when i was in in music videos it was a nightmare i hate it it was like this i was like just you know, I'd be like freaking out the day before the shoot, and just be I'd be working it's like homework till the last yeah, it's like yeah. four or five in the yeah. morning doing like timing breakdowns in the shot, and mm. you know you don't have a I didn't know how to break stuff down as properly mm. earlier on, and you're trying to do it in like the however you know with like describing the shot, and then with the seconds, and then oh actually I think that should go later, and you have to change it, and it was really painful uh and then you know, i didn't storyboard but i described the shots like i knew how mm. it was in my head i didn't take pictures for some reason mm. and then you know then you're storyboarding got more into that so there's a lot of pre-planning but then on the then on the shoot you know then when we scout and tech recce then you're constantly adapting and changing it and mm. and then on set you're going in with a pretty good plan but mm. then just like, adapting and you know so you work out some of those moves beforehand like on a tech scout and it, yeah it, it, does mal does mal have a input on that yeah you? yeah for sure collaborative got, process? yeah yeah you know i mean Mara's like my uh, split in half with mm. them you know we're mm. like uh really special mm. i'm very lucky you know have that relationship we have um and it's super open and because we there's no we've known each other for so long 
Where, where did you meet? If you don't mind on listening. Otello. Oh, because so that's the commercial. first job I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we and where was that shot? Uh, Denmark. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no. We just try stuff. I I, I like to operate mm. a lot. Mm. Sometimes it's because I'm bored. I, I'm sitting, <laughs> you know, and everyone's doing stuff, and I'm like waiting, and then. Sometimes I was just out of boredom or like I just want to get on the camera and then just sit mm. on the camera mm. <laughs> just, and then sit around and watch people mm. do stuff. But, mm. And then just holding it and feeling it a bit more, being closer mm. to the actors, mm. I, I really like that. And so with Mauro, we have a really great, like he'll operate, then mm. I will. Mm. I'll, you know, and then sometimes if, when you're when you've got a new DP relationship, I'll forget to mention that I I operate or I mm. like to, and there's been, you know, then you get mm. into the oh, could I? Mm. And they're like, they don't know, or oh yeah, and it's not mm. not an issue. It's never mm. an issue, but it's always oh, you forget yeah. like the the shorthand you end up with yeah. someone that you collaborate with. And you know, some DOPs think of operating as a really really important part of their role, but others, like, I think Maro, I mean, he's he's next level in terms because his his lighting is so. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's so transcendental his lighting that you can imagine that you know. That I'm, I'm I'm assuming that you. I was actually want to ask you how. I have absolutely zero input on I mean, hardly anything. Mm. Like we, I don't even. I mean, it's crazy with Mara. I don't. You know, it's like talk talking to mm. go you, extreme you, on the hype. But it's like telling talking to Da Vinci. Like oh, you know, yeah. His, his lighting is. I mean, there's no. You know, we talk about what time of the, you know, it's daytime, the scene's daytime or it's night, but then he just does his thing and just has like this other way of, of doing, treating the atmosphere and the look of it. And, you know, we'll do back Mm. and forth and we'll talk Mm. over it, but sometimes they'll be like, oh, actually this is not right. Like, Mm. you know, whatever, but we Mm. I'm really not thinking about to begin with or was it no, is it not not not, really. not really I mean not not there's I mean they're in the treatment you know I've got the vibe of it and we talk and I I'll, I'll have some few kind of maybe references of like you know mm. this kind of thing maybe but it's really him me and him talking and he's yeah. he's really got a big hold of that um and then uh, he he operates you know he's not DP that doesn't operate, mm. he's, but he's also cool with me jumping mm. on and yeah, operating a right. bit. And yeah, um, hand. He's he's. I mean, he's actually handheld. He's always tends to do that. Like sometimes I'll do a bit, but yeah, yes, yeah. Because yeah. kind of... what I found exciting through the chronology of your work was how um, you you it seemed to be like a very pure artistic relationship between you and Mara and, and some of your other you know some of your editors and whatnot that. It feels like you're all growing together as artists. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, big time. I mean, with Mauro, we, he, so when I got the Otello thing, I knew it was specifically black and white from the beginning. Mm. All their ads at that point had been black mm. and white. So it was this amazing, very rare opportunity where the mm. client and the agency are like, this is going to be black and white. You're like, cool. Yeah, it's a good um, opportunity. Great. Mm. And then, so I asked... And uh, there I am in the first time in the world of like commercials and 
they're like, oh, we'll find some DOPs for you. I was like, oh, okay. And, you know. Um, Did you use Ben for, for So, yeah. Ben Fordsman is uh, massively important. Uh, relationship I've had as well and still now um, we tr- we've missed each other on some projects mm. over the last bit um, but Ben is another DP relationship that I've had and you know that you know the that was a huge uh, step for me when we did um, uh, Paolo oh, Natini oh, Paolo, that's oh, when I first right, worked with Ben right. And it was like, holy shit! Um, that that I mean, in terms that, of what a DOP can bring to yeah, your, yeah, to your yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was like, I had this. Oh, you know, I wanted the thing I wanted to do with it was this giallo Italian mm, giallo yeah. film inspired mm. kind of story and the light and everything. And he mm. just killed it. Um, mm. And then I was with doing everything with Ben and. But you know how, it, like, you end up then Atello, he wasn't available, so mm. I ended up working mm. with Mauro, and mm. then Hornbach came in, and that was mm. with Ben, you mm. know. Mm. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then anyway, um, so yeah, as you know, he's, I mean, he's a genius. Yeah, uh, and now he's on features. He's Saint Maud, mm. and he's just done Rose Glass's new yeah. film, and yeah, he's incredible. Um, so what was I saying? So, Mal- and then with Mauro, Mauro. um, I with Atello, you know, mm. uh, I was like, oh, I need you know, who's about? Mm. So then I had the whole, oh, we'll check DP's availabilities mm. from agents, and I, I was like, oh, wow, okay, cool. And then they started sending me all these names, I was like, well, and I was like, oh, there's so many people to look at. I was like, look, mm. I don't want to look at anything other than their black and white work because. Mm. Even though I hadn't really shot black and white, I I was very particular about black mm. and white because mm. I see a lot of bad black and mm. white work. Fincher, again, mm. <laughs> like for me, is like the ultimate mm. black and white work. You know, it's Calvin Klein. Mm. It's commercial still mm. just blows my mind. And anyway, I mean, recently with Mank. But mm. so I said, I only want to see the black and white reels of directors and I would just look at it. Doesn't matter who they were what they'd done i was just mm. looking at the images yeah and i was looking through and there's like some big dp that had done massive films mm. like legend mm. but i'd look mm. at it i was like cool black and white was good i was going through and then this one reel came up and it was Mauro's, mm. and there's like nothing you'd ever ever heard of mm. there was no like apple or like a feature or anything it was mm. like a fashion film and like mm. this obscure like other italian brand but the black and white work with the lighting on it the images were just on a whole other level mm. from all of the other dps mm. it was just a different level yeah i was like this is the guy yeah like let's let's do it with mm. with marrow <clears throat> and then uh yeah that's how we yeah and worked together on a turn he was it was my first commercial and it was his one of his bigger things at that time because mm. he'd done like was in Italy and doing like smaller stuff videos mm. and and then we really just took off together. together yeah for sure yeah yeah, yeah. so let's let's talk about the next uh, so the next significant uh film for me would be the um the finish yeah uh, I absolutely love that and um it's like 
uh, could you talk a little bit about yeah, yeah. Yeah, the production of that? Because that was you and Mauro as well, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. Mauro. Yeah, that was just, I mean, that was just hilarious. Uh, job. Um, did you have any, because you have input in the scripts, uh, did you, was there a collaboration? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That, that was, um, <laughs> I just can't <laughs> believe we made it. That one was always just mad. Um, the creatives are incredible. The finished commercial was had just the most amazing creative already it was like they had the song written they had the whole thing of like people hating dishes and all these different situations uh the creatives were amazing um Kristen and uh, Bertie and the ECDs were Carlos and Laura Laura and um they just wanted the best film possible and there was no just felt like it, there was no compromise on how far we could go with it and we just pushed it and pushed mm. it and like the whole smiling yeah like, for English thing yeah hidden trauma yeah smiles, hidden trauma you know, yeah which I feel like you yeah. see everywhere in the country yeah um, it was like it's the like whole the David, basis it's like, of it's the, like a of version of the David Lynch um, opening sequence of the kind of you know the ear in the ground sort of thing yeah. it's like that yeah, kind yeah. of hidden sort of world of trauma like you say yeah, yeah with the, yeah. the veneer of uh, yeah. everything's okay yeah, yeah. and um, there was also like the f I mean <laughs> The, the opening shot that goes to the guy uh, from behind and then up to the mm. side and he turns yeah, to the yeah, camera. Yeah. We did, the poor guy did like, uh, I think they did like close to 60 takes. Mm. Poor steady cam. Oh, uh, Doug. Oh. We did like, I think it was like 55 takes. That's a steady cam, was it? Uh, I think it was steady cam. I think, yeah. Yeah. And um, but we were just kept pushing it, and like it was so funny that all the like how do I tell? Like it wasn't quite right. It's like telling him like, and then the final direction. It was like first it was like, oh, you know, you're kind of like an abused dog, you know, and like <laughs> we come up to you and you're like, carrying. And then we kept yeah. pushing. So, oh, okay, you're like, and then it just it was like, okay, look, you're masturbating in your bedroom furiously and the, your, the camera is your mum <laughs> and, and, you know we were talking out loud so there's no this. vfx involved in this no case. no 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 really because yeah, i was no. thinking you might have no 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 no, no, like no, no. there's no vfx work. yeah and that you know it's like it was the whole thing was ridiculous and then then realized that everyone washing the dishes was <laughs> At the window, especially when they're covered <laughs> up. Well, then we just couldn't get it out uh, of our heads. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was yeah. super fun. So one, yeah. uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit, break down the the, the um, uh, camera uh, moves and the visual language on that a little bit. Um, so there's that probe because you got you got this wonderful way of working with probe lenses, with sort of probe lenses, and then going back to normal lens sets and kind of integrating the sort of this sort of probe um, vista into into normal uh, language. Uh, lens language um, and so you have that shot going through when she's got the wrinkly hands mm -hmm. and you have that shot the probe shot going through and then you have you cut to a side shot when she turns and she's kind of she's moving on a dolly or something is it yeah yeah she's on a she's on a uh, the thing the thing with wheels yeah yeah little do sort of little platform dolly or whatever. yeah 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 um I don't, or was she on was she attached to, I, can't, I haven't seen it in ages I don't know if she was attached to the dolly we were moving with her 
maybe. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Because uh, didn't we... I don't know if we were on side or we you pushed were in. You were profile and you were moving along with her, I think, actually. Yeah, it's yeah, slots, that, that made it, sense, yeah. 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 And then the husband was there and her arms come to the yeah. husband, yeah. Um, but did, was that something you planned beforehand? Was that Because that, 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 that's so... That's such an unusual... It's, I yeah, just I so wanted to unique. get the hands, you know, how we wanted these pruny hands mm. and prosthetics were making such mm. such an amazing pruny hand prosthetic. Yeah, you wanted to really get close to I that. I just wanted to, like, yeah, see really it, Yeah, really feel you know? it, yeah. And um, the boroscope, I'm trying to think the first time I used it. Which, which do you have a preference on which one you use? Because you use it quite a lot. The... T-Rex or uh, Oxford? No, it's the cheap one. It's like... Oh, the, the Lara one? No, that's it. Oh, that's wow. like... Yeah, is I that the one joking, I need to just buy one because I just use that all the... So that's the majority of your probe lens stuff is a Lara? Because yeah. that, was, that was my other question is that you have shots on the probe lens like on the Apple Watch when you're pulling out of the watch mm. and you're doing a rotation. There's, there's, an, there's occasionally we'll use the, the, the one that's more expensive yeah but well, there's a bunch of that one a lot. optics yeah. excellence perhaps yeah yeah diamond film music yeah and that one was pretty sure it's the that one uh with the hat yeah the one with the hands was that you yeah and it was all it was just like well, how do we get see it you know and feel yeah the, yeah because yeah. that's one of the questions i have for some of your other work because you use the probe lens and i was trying to work out how you'd rig the camera with a full-on sort of you know like t-rex or something and no, you, it wasn't and it, yeah, and that makes to me that makes a lot of sense now because you have some shots that look like they're handheld with a, with yeah. a probe lens, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, so how's he got that with you know with one of these massive lens? You know, what kind of rigs the operator got on to get that to work? And now you said that it's like almost like it all makes sense. It all fits yeah. into place now. That, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So is that I mean, is that something that early on? Because I know it's early on with your um, even like uh, August Lullaby, your very mm-hmm. early that you were going up the note, kind of wide angle up the nose of you quite like getting close to your subjects and sort of yeah. exaggerating their proportions by using wide angle lenses. Is that when you first saw probe lens, the probe lens, was it, was it when that lens was first released that you kind of started thinking I could really put this I, into my... I'm trying to think the first time. In general, I liked wide lenses close mm. to faces rather than long lenses. Mm. It was just a preference I had. I, that I liked and then I, I generally like deep focus mm. um in general I mm. don't know, like the d- detail yeah um and yeah I wider lenses up close rather than long lenses yeah but, and See, then the, the probe I'm trying to think the first time I used it so it I have a point to make was, on that yeah oh, sorry got, no uh, I was, uh, if you're going to go for deep focus uh you know like I you think like films like Citizen Kane with Greg Tolland, who was developing, you know, because before in the early days of cinema, everyone was trying to develop deep focus. And then we have, now we have this obsession with narrow focus. Mm-hmm. And But traditional cinema was deep focus and having these sets all well, beautifully designed, right? Yeah, I think that there was, so when I was finishing, you know, on the final year of university, it, what's interesting is that as a film student, pre-red camera, array camera and everything, digital cinema, really great digital camera, digital cinema cameras. We were using, either, like when I was, we were either shooting on 16 mil and we then can have an array of lenses on the camera or you're shooting on like 
Z1, mm. Sony Z1, like those kinds of documentary kind of cameras. Mm. And, you know, you're shooting with them and they're generally quite deep focus. Mm. And you're like, how do I get the cinema thing? And you're like, oh, it's shallow focus. That's mm. cinema, you mm. know. So then you would get the lens adapters. Yeah. And we had like, what was it called? Red Rock. Red Rock. Red Rock. Yeah. Red. yeah, that was it. Red Rock. I had, I had another one. but we PS had, Technic did one as well. PS yeah, Technic I think that was the one I had. Yeah. We had, and that came in on the final. So then we were like using those. I'm like, mm. wow, we can use like all these different lenses now. Mm. And shallow focus was mm. was incredible being to, more ha- to be able to suddenly yeah. have. Whereas mm. previous to that, mm. we didn't have it unless mm. you were shooting on film. Yeah, but, but even 16 mil is quite deep focus, isn't it? So you it never is. get a chance to yeah. see that 35 mil depth of field, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was like oh wow you know that was so there was there was a bit of a yeah being able to suddenly mm. use those lenses was good and then um yeah but what i wanted to mention it with your work is that so people love narrative feel love large format the ARRI, you know uh, lf for example and all the large format cameras everyone loves them because of that narrow depth of field and softening the background which is you know, it, it hides a multitude of sins, right? But when you're getting into the next level of sort of filmmaking in terms of having control of your mise-en-scene, con- controlling all your elements, the art direction and lighting and all of that, then in some ways it makes sense to go for a deeper depth of field because you want to show off all those elements, like, you know, like Fincher, you know, Wood or, you know, uh, um, Terry Gilliam, you know, filmmakers that do a beautiful job at creating this sort of mise-en-scene and they want to show it. Um, and then when you're using lenses like probe lenses that show infinite depth of field, the problem with, I think, a lot of filmmakers have with them is it just looks really ugly because they don't have the craft to create the, cri- the correct mise-en-scene in, in, in order for that to work. And, you know, the work you do with your... Because I, I want to get onto the production designers at some point, mm. but the work you do with your production designers and your DOPs, it's such, it's like such excellent craft that you can afford to show the whole thing yeah, up I mean, and it's still to look cinematic. That's the thing, you know, that probe lens is isn't expensive but if the light the lighting if that's not on point it looks terrible right it looks really terrible it looks so digital right so the way you get around that is through the craft yeah and that's the thing you know with you know with mauro we'd be shooting a a scene and we're switching between the probe and the f-stop of that to mm. then you know yeah a, a, so he has to light everything lens. up to the level so of the it's got to be ready for both yeah <laughs> and match them both and yeah i mean yeah. that's a real skill to do that i mean i really noticed that with your work it's like yeah that's why i was thinking christ you've got a really good relationship with your dop mm-hmm. here um because that yeah it's and people just see that effortlessly because you and we'll get onto the the whole vfx thing and how you blend things effortlessly but what you're you know what um the real skill you brought I think to commercials is the way you can blend all of these different forms effortlessly and they become one package and they have one very clear point of view and the comedy is works and everything works really well. Um, but the craft that goes into that, I, I think people don't, I think people don't understand necessarily how much craft goes into. So, you know, <laughs> cause it looks so effortless, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, it's, it's masses of work from a lot of incredible mm. people. I mean, um, I think with the the comedy thing, I do notice that there's as soon as something is a comedy, there's almost a it, you it allows if you want as the 
for the filmmaker to ease off the depth of detail mm. of the characters of the scene of the craft or whatever like you can almost you can because it's funny you can ease off a, mm. a lot of areas and just focus on the comedy or whatever but mm. yeah i i think because i've got maybe it comes from having i've got a bit of a chip on my shoulder about like being the the wacky funny director thing mm. or whatever i'm like oh but you know i'm a serious filmmaker mm. i don't know maybe that also pushes me to like push push the images a lot um so yeah i think you don't i was gonna about to say i was about to interrupt you and say but you don't ease off because all of your work has such a polished beautiful refined look mm. to it and you know if you if i may i'd like to talk a little bit about your style because you say that your people talk about your work and say oh the surreal kind of um post-internet kind of um, style that you have. But I see that's half your work and you go for, I think you've got two very distinctive styles. One of them that I'd say is, is that kind of like um, poppy kind of graphic, uh, exaggerated kind of comedy look. But then the other one is, it's a sort of transcendental emotional, like the diamonds um, uh, or the Le even the Lexus, where, you know, you, you came from shooting uh the um the, the job we we're just talking about the finished job and you went straight onto a lexus job that's a completely mm -hmm. different world and it's got that kind of uh dreamlike emotions but in in a very sophisticated sort of more kind of like uh traditional filmmaking way but you still managed to tap into uh, getting this sort of magical magic realism transcendental kind of qualities out of it mm. um could you could you talk a little bit about those two sort of yeah styles? so so before commercials it's you know it's like music video and you've got a lot of freedom there but still you're doing it within the feeling of the music um so you're finding yourself but within somebody else's world musically mm. let's say mm. but you're still on a journey to find your own working your own kind of creative world or whatever um finding your core and then in a but you know in a short film it's total freedom to be with your own creative self and the things that come out from that are different from a music video but then when you go into a commercials your your creative core is being uh used by the overriding corporation to create a piece of Mm. corporate propaganda there's no mm. other way of looking at it that it there is you know there's art to it like commercials can be art in a way but ultimately you're working within the confines of corporate needs and that you're finding pockets of freedom within that which ultimately serve the corporate mm. interest mm. uh for the advertisement mm. ultimately um so within all these different spaces you're an artist that your purest self is being kind of is you're p placing it into and getting it working it within these different spaces so the things that come out with it are, are mm. different Mm. And I think with commercials, it, there's kind of certain spaces within it, and then you've got the uh, that I've found that I'm now able to kind of okay, I'm on 
which hat am I wearing? Right. You know, it's a mm. little bit of that. Yeah. But then I try to have a continuation between all of it, which is mm. just like there's certain ways I like to place the camera or there's ways that I like to have actors perform. One of the biggest things is, oh, a continu continuation is working with the same actors because I love um, the actors I work with, the faces mm. that I mm. love. And I like to have them in from, you know, there'll be people in the three real 5G mm. commercial um, and then they'll they'll also be in the diamond commercial, mm. and mm. they're they're in two totally different spaces. But it's like a kind of traveling circus. Mm. So you can have a continuation of that, and then it's tonally, yeah, I love to be able. I I would love to be able to do in commercial get a bit more. Or, you know, ultimately, it's, I just have to choose like to what projects to do. But I love doing when I do get an opportunity to do something like Diamond, the Diamond mm. film or the Lexus film, mm. or, you know, it's great. But yeah, I've done a lot of, the thing I'm trying not to do is the, vin the vignette thing is, mm. it's, it's uh, not tiring. It's just like, you, you, I love it, but you can't get stuck into the, that character and their mm. world you, mm. you're in it and then you you're out again you want to be able to develop a, a yeah, character like, a bit more now yeah it's, you don't get to that you get to mm. do other stuff which is mm. really playing with the form a lot mm. more mm. but I don't know if that answers your well, that's question a, I mean, it kind of does because you, you talk about one of them's playing with the form more which is you, you've expertly done for quite a body of work now and you're saying that you want to develop now into more kind of character expansion um, which would explain also your move into long form um because that's obviously the world that you can properly do that um, um yeah it, it's things like so um and this is one of my favorite one of my favorite things i've done i don't know if you've got to see that one that's the banana one did you see that platanos uh, de canarias oh yeah 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 with the takeoff yeah, yeah. that was with ben forgeman yeah. and it's like, you know, it's ridiculous. There's a guy sitting at home mm. and then he takes off from his yeah. sofa and gets off his ass and leaves the house. Yeah. With... Uh, That's a single shot with the guy's the nostrils. Yeah, yeah, the nostril one. Yeah. And it's yeah. like... I love and that. And because it's just this one person in a flat, I got to really delve into who he is, mm. what his job might be. And then we had like, oh, the fish tank had... We put purposefully dead fish in it he hadn't fed them and put in like um invented a fake film called flat earth thriller and put that <laughs> in the background that post has even been in a couple of film couple right. of commercials can't remember what the other one is it reminds me a little bit of um the you know the the um uh the canadian photographer that does large format um uh, he's oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what's his? Uh, I don't remember the name. Yeah. We we'll have to pause again. Get things right. But he he basically he goes to such an extent to get the backstory in his photographs that there's one shot of a woman ironing on an ironing table in a flat, and so rather than just getting someone to iron, you know, in a flat, he basically rents the flat, hires an actor, get her gets her to live in this flat for two months. Oh my god! And Amazing. and then eventually gets this one ten eight photograph at the end of it, and it's the, the, the behind the scenes, the story of it. Is as in well, more probably more wow. even more interesting than the actual finished result, which actually reminds me of one of the conversations that I was having before you turned up today was about I'd love to see more behind the scenes of your work because mm -hmm. 
I mean, I saw the, um, you know, the virtual reality job, the uh, Oculus. Oh, yeah, Oculus. Oculus, yeah. yeah. And I, I think the danger is with your craft is you're so, <laughs> you do such a good job that people don't, you know, I was having a debate with, um, with James actually about this, that, that I was saying, well, I'd like to have seen it like less perfect in the worlds you're creating. So it, so it was definite. I understood it definitely as being a real space because, I mean, what people might not be aware of is that the majority of that Oculus campaign was shot live action, right? Mm-hmm. When I saw it, I, I assumed it was games footage because it's so well done. Oh wow! And so that that kind of blend between mm-hmm. the, the virtual, uh, you know, VFX and the real the real world, real live action was so excellent, uh, so perfectly executed that I f- I felt that I'd love to, you know, that behind when I saw the behind the scenes, I got really excited about mm-hmm. the the amount of craft you put into that job. And um, but James's argument was, well, actually, the people that are buying that are interested in the virtual reality. They're not mm. actually interested in knowing how True. much effort the filmmaker <laughs> went to, so yeah, it yeah. sold it sold the product perfectly because it was that virtual world, right, that you were yeah, selling. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, but it's such a shame that other filmmakers can't see the craft there as well because it's so the craft is so hidden. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. With that yeah. campaign. I mean, it's yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Like the more the more you know about the making of it, the less. Uh, I don't know, the less powerful maybe the pieces. But then in that case, it's interesting. Cause, yeah, if you don't know that how much is live action, it's the reverse. Not the yeah. reverse, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, as a filmmaker, it's, it's mm. uh, fascinating. But then I guess these days, most people, most of the general public would be interested in that. Whereas mm. years ago, it was kind of, it was something that people just didn't really have a, an, enough understanding of to kind of, you know, want to know more. But nowadays, everyone's got a phone that they take pictures on and take video on. So kind of everyone's an amateur filmmaker in a sense. Mm. So that behind, you know, that behind the scenes becomes interesting as a general, um, you know, for the general population rather than just niche filmmakers, I think.